This podcast is presented by Hanover Messe, your leading event for industrial AI. Hey, it's me, Robert. Before we start the new year with a new episode, we would like to thank our new partner, Hanover Messe. See you at the Hanover Messe in April. And now, the news part with Peter and myself. Enjoy listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and it's a pleasure to talk to Peter Sieber. Good morning, Robert. A happy new year to you and to all of you listeners wherever in the world you are. Thank you, Peter. We are starting a new podcast year Today with Bosch and Dr. Andreas Nauertz about mm -hmm. his Gen AI strategy. But first, we have a news part. I'm starting uh, because I don't have much. <laughs> oh, tell, tell us about the, the traffic jam in which you're oh, in. Oh, no, I, I don't want to talk about the traffic jam. No, 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 no. I, I read uh, oh, I forgot, actually. I do have because I know what, yeah. uh, of course, we always prepare a little bit what we're going to do, of course. And yes. I hope you're happy with, dear listeners. <laughs> But there is one I just forgot. Yeah. I could almost start with that. It's about because you say traffic jam. I was not in one traffic jam. I came back. I know what you've been doing. I was traveling. It has to do with the Eastern Christmas. But but it's not that important in the end. I'm getting so frustrated with Google Maps. I hope I'm yeah, I'm a, I'm, I hope I'm allowed to say this, that I'm not going to be sued. It was three years ago, and I wrote it in the book. I was so impressed. It was three, four years ago. I think it was early morning, and I must have been somewhere at a conference at a rest. I think it was a restaurant. And I think then suddenly Google Maps tells me, you know, the restaurant may not be open at the time that you arrive. Um, and I, I was alone in the car, and I was, I was looking around me. I think, you know, who is who a big brother is watching? But in a very, very positive sense, I was really, really impressed. That was only a very, very small thing. And I believe that I was very impressed, and I was expecting many things to happen. Now, yeah, you come told back. me always use uh, Google Maps. <laughs> There Google you Maps. go. I copied yeah. you yesterday in, in the LinkedIn. Yeah. And now, because, and yeah, and that's, and because of that reason, Whenever we use, you know, whenever I use Google Map, it never, ever happens. And I'm not going to say that Google, Google Maps is in charge of the traffic jam in which you're in at the moment, or I was, you know, instead of seven hours, it took us 11 hours. Um, my point is, there's no company in the world that has all the data from two billion people, I guess, You know, and those that have decided that what they want to share. And in this case, I do want to share. They're very, very professional. They always give you the option, 100 options to not share certain things. I want to share in this case, all of my, I don't understand. They know why people are traveling, what weather is coming. Uh, what is it between countries, you know, tall, every, they know everything. So why why do they tell me it's seven hours? They could tell me it's going to be 11 hours, Peter. We suggest that you tr try to travel, you know, 10 hours before or four hours later or whatever. So, yeah, that was the first point. But it has to do with intelligence. Absolutely. It has to do all with intelligence. And that's what we're about. You know, we are the industrial AI podcast. And, you know... I mean, uh, traveling, I mean, it's number one is, of course, logistics in this case, which yep. which you are very specialized in as well. So I, I had no Google Maps problems during my holidays because I read a lot over the holidays at home. Oh, you did. And a sentence by Niels Minkma was stuck in my head. And okay. I will have the quote and we can discuss this. Okay. AI can do everything, but one thing, recognize when it's unnecessary. <laughs> it can or cannot recognize yeah, when yeah, it's necessary. Yeah, it can. yeah, it cannot, cannot recognize <laughs> it when it's cannot. unnecessary. I still, I still question whether it can do everything, but the code uh -huh. sums 
it up quite well, I think. And uh, he's not an AI specialist. He's okay. a, a journalist, an author. Huh. And I will link him and his text in the show notes. But I was, yeah, when I read this, yeah, you are maybe right. Yeah. But is he, is he confirming that uh, AI, as we've always said, is a tool? You know, it's a tool in our hands. So yeah, we, he, we he, described, he described the discussion he had with the call center or something, huh. and there was an AI in the background. But his problem was not so difficult that an, he needed an AI to solve this problem with this call center. So it's oh, very okay. – I, I will sh link the, the, the text. In okay. the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, of course, our listeners, you know, those of you that are in charge of, you know, maybe call center in your whatever industrial company, you want to, you're looking forward to to finding solutions. I mean, the general problem is we don't find people anymore. And of course, okay. I mean, more and more. I mean, the chat software had such a bad name as over here in Germany, you know, the tomatoes from the Netherlands. Yeah. <laughs> Still, uh, these days, whenever we buy, you know, people believe they're not from the Netherlands, from the, from the glass uh, houses anymore, but they are, I believe, 30, 40, 50%. And people in the meantime are very happy. So, I mean, of course, the problem is that we have a very bad, we, we all have had bad experiences with. But I do believe that, you know, it, at the moment, they are getting a lot better to the yeah, point quite, where. Yeah, it's quite funny because Andreas in the, in the main part tells us something about uh, Bosch approach using a large language model in a call center or in a service hotline to to help the the technical guys on the phone to solve the customer's problem. So that's quite interesting that oh, they're wow. using an LLM in the service uh, center when you call Bosch. Yeah. Okay, that's that's like almost whatever a tier tier two maybe. So you still have a human being that you're talking to. Yeah. And of course that depends loads on the level of technicality of the problem, which. I may assume in this time with Bosch then is sometimes more complex. Yeah, and maybe that was um, what you were referring to, what you the, the quote you read. If it's not that difficult, but I would almost have thought that if it is not that complex, that they are the moments where very soon we are going to see. And of course, I mean, I think the topic again of this year is maybe, I'm not sure we're going to continue to talk about the large language models, whatever we're going to call them, co-pilots, assistants, we're going to have some kind of name. But, but, but these foundation models, to call it like that for the moment, they're going to, they're going to stay, I believe. And I think what we're going to be talking about for the year is whatever sits on top of any of these uh, foundation models. Yeah, but, but I think Andreas made a good point in the interview. He is looking for small, large language models. So mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, use this large language models on the bench, on the workflows, in the plants, in specific approaches. And they are not depending on Aleph Alpha. They are also using open source, different mm -hmm. LLMs. So it's quite interesting, the, the interview, I think, the Gen AI strategy by Bosch. Uh, looking forward to be reading. Uh, I have, I have something more, something yeah. else in the, in the field of robotics, because yesterday, figure one has learned to make coffee. It's a humanoid robot. You, mm -hmm. you are not a fan of that, but what is interesting, <laughs> the AI system was trained in 10 hours just by watching humans make coffee. I will put the video here also into the show notes. Uh, that was that's, quite interesting. Yeah. That sounds, of course, 100% like AlphaGo, AlphaZero Go. You know, you, you, you recall the yep. famous chess bot uh, from, in the meantime, Google that, you know, did exactly that. What was it? I think was looking at, you know, I've no idea. Was it 1 million? Well, probably 100 million chess games in uh, in one hour or something like that. And then very soon it became the number one already within one or two hours. Yeah, That's interesting. We haven't talked for quite some time because it has to do with reinforcement learning as well. Maybe this one, I don't know, of course, because the one you're referring to, but yep. at least the original one was where, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, in this case, it will be if the robot then has been looking at and then started on its model to be producing the coffee. And if whatever the goal was that you're giving the agent 
to say, you know, there's a cup of coffee standing there and it's, you know, filled for whatever, 80%. And maybe there's a little bit of milk, or a little bit of sugar inside. And, and uh, yep. the customer is trying, it says, oh, that's nice. Then it's, um, it's a one. And all the times it's not, it's a zero. Yeah, um, it, it, it has become quite around reinforcement. Yeah, right? but, but my point was always, I haven't heard that much uh, about it. That is my point. It's like everything has been yeah. large. I think we're going to, as you just said, we're going to yeah. maybe forget the L for the large. We're going to be talking about language <laughs> models or whatever. I think we're maybe even going to forget that. We're going to be at a higher level. And as part of getting rid of the hallucinations, was it, yeah, I think it was OpenAI, right, who were then using reinforcement learning by humans, is that's how it's called, you know, so mm -hmm. humans are deciding mm -hmm. yep. two versions. I come to another version of two systems later on as well. I like left better than right. And if millions of people, humans do that, you know, then you can filter out, you know, bad copy let's let's put it like that that's where i've heard it yep. but besides from that i haven't heard it too much and i would i don't know i'm looking forward to we had a very high expectation starting really like four years ago hanover messer um yep. but i must say i haven't i haven't heard that much so and i'm not sure the one that you were just saying if it was even reinforcement learning so i'm looking forward if we are going to be talking um reinforcement learning again this year yeah i i I wrote the CEO from Figure to be a part in our podcast. Maybe okay. he will answer us or an engineer. I think that's quite interesting. But you're not a fan of uh, robots, but we oh, need no, to no. talk about the topic. Oh, no, the, the humanoid part. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, if in this case there is a, you know, the, yeah, if the robot is, is supposed to be looking like a human, then yeah. I'm just not sure about that. Yeah, that's, so I that's will do the, the episode. I will do that. <laughs> Well, yeah, you are good. Um, you are very good at uh, asking good critical questions. Anyway, uh, what do yeah. you have, Peter? Yeah, well, the one one topic is copyright. Of course, copyright is about the New York Times versus OpenAI, Microsoft. The claim is that they use millions of copyrighted New York Times articles to train their models. Uh, the issue then, of course, is ChatGPT reproducing verbatim. You know, the question is, how can that be? Um, the assumption is that if the user specifically asks for verbatim, that's what they get. It feels like, but then again, you know, maybe I'm going to be very specific. You know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, not we are not lawyers, but these are the assumptions. That's what you get. So if you try to break almost like the capabilities of a language model, then, you know, you get exactly what you want. If they, if that is still okay or not legally, that's what the judge is going to decide right now. But, but what is important is, I believe, again, assumption that you do not, so just going to ask your language model, can you please go to the website of New York Times? You know, the, the, the question is if the LLM can do that or not and give me a copy of exactly the page number XYZ right mm -hmm. so if that would be the case then maybe you can stop that mm -hmm. right that's would be easy and number two that's the assumption but it has not nothing to do with the model's weights right so that yeah. is important yep. of the understanding and i i really do believe that the judges are going to have you know very capable specialists uh, explaining what is happening uh, in this typically transformer based language models now we had andrew wang many times it's very good to get ideas for him as well so he was also thinking that it, it, it's probably and the community around and LinkedIn uh, is thinking that it is because of rack. I'm going to be yep. talking about rack in a moment, retrieval, augmented generation, in which then ChatGPT will download an article if that's what I want. Now, yep. what does that mean then? Who's, who's then responsible? Is it then at all the large language model provider? Is it me, the user? If I'm using YouTube, the internet, you know, like yesterday I was moaning as I just did about Google Maps and I used uh, the logo of Google Maps. Am I allowed to do that? Am I not sure? Whatever. If I would not be, who is, who is responsible? LinkedIn? Mm -hmm. No, mm -hmm. me. I am yeah. responsible. Yep. That's, that's the other topic. So anyway, I think the solution could be that, you know, If it is correct that the LLMs are reproducing verbatim, that can easily be stopped, number one. 
it's not a build an issue in my understanding of LLMs. I think that's that's bullshit where people are here or there suggesting that. And at the same time, we see that big tech, uh, including, for example, OpenAI, is already contacting media houses. We saw there's a deal sure. between OpenAI and German uh, Springer. Springer. Yep. And I just heard that now, for example, Apple, which we haven't heard anything until mm. a week or two ago, yep. uh, that they have their own LLM as well, but not a lot. And they are now offering huge sums for media content. So. Yep. Uh, I want to finish here with a, a quote from Andrew, which I support. He says, just as humans are allowed to read articles posted online, learn from them, and then use what they learn to write brand new articles, I would like to see computers allowed to do so too. And I must say that I um, tend to agree with that. But we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, please, please. I think we we will see a lot of discussion in this field because we had also a big discussion when Google started their their search, their news search, and yeah. all the editorial companies are yeah. afraid, or they should pay for this article, they should pay for this content, and then Google said, "Okay, uh, we will stop that, and then nobody will find you in the internet anymore." So. We will see a lot of discussion in, in this field too. I think so as well. Yeah. Yep. The other reference point was like YouTube, exactly the same when yep. YouTube started. You know, it was, it was a huge copyright issue. And over the years, they just solved um, this. So the expectation in general is that there's going to be kind of an out of court deal. Yep. Uh, let's see. Is this interesting for you listeners industry? Well, you know, there's going to be many topics and I believe we're going to continue. If you don't like that, let us know. But I believe that all of you listeners, one way or the other, and you just said uh, we're going to be hearing today from Bosch, for example, all of you um, almost certain are going to be using language models one way or the other, starting if not yet from 2024. Uh, so I think you specifically as whatever product marketing managers, responsible people, I think you should know what's going on. Because even if we're talking industry, you know, we do want to know that if we're using, doesn't matter, open source, closed source, what is the base of the foundation model? And if you're allowed to use it or not. And what was interesting, you recall, Robert, that we had the legal guy when we were at the AI in the canteen. When was that? Beginning December, Mann and Hummel. That's what? And Mann and Hummel, yeah. And he came up on stage and, you know, he was sharing with us and the audience what the, what the employees were allowed to do and what not. We will have an episode with him in the next few weeks, yeah. Oh, very good. Perfect. Yeah. He will explain us uh, the, the legal AI strategy by Mann and Hummel, what is allowed and what is not allowed. Very good. So, second, yeah. I just refer to RAG. RAG, yeah. Retrieve Log, Mandalog uh, Generation. We've heard so much about it in the last, I must say, me, myself, maybe two, three months that I have uh, shown up to me. Uh, the base ideas, right, you know, that you're going to give when you're prompting. I come to the prompt, prompting in a moment because I hate prompting, basically. But but the, the idea basically is so you have a, a model, you can use a model, and then you want to use it for your own content. So you can uh, fine-tune it. It seems to be very expensive, kind of very complex and difficult. Uh, so that's more, let's say, on, on the in the background. But in the, in the front end, you say, you know, I'm going to ask you a question. And by the way, here, I'm going to give you my 1,000-page PDF, whatever, Word PDF, all the information about product X that I have in my mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. So please read it um, and then give me the answer. I hope that that is a correct way of... Uh, explaining what uh, retrieval augmented of one example is. So according to Stefan Zulak, he's CEO, co-founder of Renumix. Renumix yes. He was with us in the podcast. He did join us at uh, AI in the Alps. We're going to see him also in Frankfurt. In Frankfurt, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he has the workshop. Yeah. And according to him, it's one of the fastest evolving technologies ever developed. And he's going to, well, if you want to know more about it, you can read it in his blog, uh, How to Build a Rack-Based Assistance for Industrial Applications. Or you can come to Frankfurt, you know, face-to-face, -face, two weeks, Wednesday, January the 24th. 
KI in the industry, as we started years ago uh, in German, you and I still need to talk about. I think we're going to have a combination in German and English presentations. Is that right? Yeah, we have, I think, two or three presentations in English and then right. are in German. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the presentation by uh, by Zampo Lino. He's the head of learning by Mina Learn. You know, they invented yeah. this course, Elements of AI, and now they have courses specialized on business use cases, on machine building, automation, construction. So it's quite interesting how people learn AI in different settings. Yeah. Yeah, that's your if one of your favorites. There's so many. We can't almost. I mean, there's so many names of the who is who. I would uh, almost say yeah, of industrial Siemens. AI, yep. of the people that you have heard already before here in the podcast. Not all of them, but I guess eighty, ninety percent of them. Yep. So I'm not going to give the complete list. You can find it at you know Hannover Messe. Look for conference KI de industry conference AI in industry if you're around. Uh, so for the short term uh, decision makers, that's where you can uh, hear. Then that's the topic that um, Stefan is going to be talking about. Yeah, rec based assistance for industrial applications. Absolutely. So what else, Peter? And then we have two go. more. Yeah, quick. A benchmark leakage is one. Yep. Uh, maybe you recall, was it the podcast, just the last one before the end of the year? I suggest that uh, all of you listeners, if you haven't yet, have you, uh, Robert? You know, go at Hugging Face and yes, learn about sure. Have you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> It's it's impressive. You, you I'm going to yeah. ask you. I'm going to ask you a question. I'll be careful. <laughs> <laughs> now I recall. So now this is then about uh, what happens. Of could it, or could it be the case that language models have seen benchmark Q and As? You know, uh, because I also I did go to Hugging Face, and I'm still do not find my way around completely. I get a little bit of a feeling that there's 480,000, but I already suggested that models. So there's many leaderboards. So one of them is the one where they use uh, uh, ELO, right? Very similar to chess. We talked about it all the time, chess, chess, chess. Uh, it's not because I did. I do play chess, but because at the very beginning, you know, 25 years ago, it was already the first time. And, and it has all the time been the relation between AI and chess. But that's not the point here. The point is, so I thought back and I recall that was in my high school in the Netherlands. It was one of the students had gotten his hands onto the upcoming exam questions. I, I recall very well. I think I even know the name of that person. I'm not going to call it out. And this person became very popular very quickly because, you know, all the students wanted to see, not all, maybe not. There were some that said, no, no, I want to, I don't want to see this. You know, I want to, whatever. Anyway, in the end, of course, it came out and all the tests had to be rewritten and all the exams had to be taken anew. Now, so, so, now, if this happens with with the large language models, what have they seen? You know, they they crawl the complete internet. They're being fed with so much information, and most of the time, I assume. Although no, I do not assume that to be honest. If I'm a product manager of a large language model provider, then I know that I'm feeding my proactively or passively, but I know that, you know, there's going to be benchmarks in what my large language model has seen, right? Sure. Which means even if, if I have a very small, maybe in general not so good, you know, hundreds of other benchmarks, then, then I know that it has seen this one specific benchmark. And if that is the number one, um, that suddenly my language model is, is on the top level, right? Uh, so that was, a, that was an issue that then I saw other people have dealt with as well. For that reason, I like very much the one that I had seen is this ELO-based one. I'm using that all the time. This is the chatbot arena on the hugging face. So whenever I'm using now a language model, I go there. And then there's always two LLMs answering. And I and then I look at le left, right. I see what is the the, the two options. So not 500,000 answers. So how long you are there every day, Peter, on Hugging Face? No, 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 not that much, not that okay. much. But I do, I do kind of, um, I, it, 
it's all about, you know, it's asking the questions, how often do you, do I use search? You know, yep. have we been using over the next uh, last 10 years search? And then if I go back and, and answer that one, I would say, yeah, maybe 10 times a day. I don't know. And then now the question is, is that changing or is it not changing? Now, it's not about that, that what we've been doing is about you know, moving away from search. But that is, that is one thing. I do want to try and be aware and say, oh, I was doing search. Maybe I, why, why did I not? Why did I not ask the LLM? Okay. Um, and I must say it's very good. And for that reason, I do like very much this ELO-based system because then I always see two options and there's, there's many times a very clear winner. I do not like one of them and I really do like the other one. And then I say A is better, B is better. And then it shows me which language model it was. Now, at the top of this one, which is called, what did I just say? Uh, the Chatbot Arena Leaderboard. And there's another one. There's the open leaderboard as well. But this one, uh, the top one, two, three is all from OpenAI. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. So your last news about prompting. Yeah, very quickly. Are you still prompting? I was looking for the IKEA quote. But the <laughs> IKEA quote, I don't think many, not people from around the world. I mean, people from Germany, maybe other countries, because they have this famous uh, quote. And I was saying, so are you still Uh, prompting or has your LLM started communicating with you? Yeah, because there was this guy, Logan Kilpatrick, sounds Irish, a developer advocate at OpenAI. And he said, prompt engineering is not the skill of the future. Yes, And I thought, yeah. oh, somebody heard my New Year's wish before it started. Because I've been saying this now for the last couple of weeks. And please do not take this personal. If you, dear listener, are one of those people uh, who have provided one of these how to improve your prompting skills lists, and we've seen hundreds of them, and we still see every day. Don't take it personal. You know, you've been doing an amazing job in 2023. Uh, you probably will continue to do that. Maybe I assume that some of you at least were also feeling that in the long run, it cannot be that we humans... That, that we have to start learning from LLMs how to communicate rather than you know, LLMs. I believe they should start from us, you know, learning the way that humans communicate. Yeah. Now, Kilpatrick continues, he says, the reality is that prompting AI systems is no different than being an effective communicator with other humans. Wow, I oh, thought, yeah. you know, from the horse's mouth. I say not only will, will soon LLMs, but also our spouses, our friends and colleagues, you know, they, they, can, they will be able to better understand us, right? Yep. Not just the LLMs. Yeah. And maybe as a finishing thought that comes from him, but I strongly support, he says, while well, prompt engineering, increasingly hot area of expertise, the three underlying skills that truly matter in 2024 um, he says, are reading, writing, and speaking. You know, who would have thought that? Should we bring up the, the results from the PISA study? <laughs> PISA is a global thing, yeah, right? Is it by the United thing, yeah. Nations? Yeah. or No, it's OECD. OECD. Uh, is OECD, is it yeah. global or is it not I just you? I think it's Europe? global. The USA is yeah, yeah, part, yeah, Singapore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I've only read that again in you know the country that we are based in. Again, the results came back. And is it not always exactly about the capability to read and write? Yes, read and Basically? write to understand. No, isn't that amazing? No. Read, so, write, understand, and uh, calculate. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And yeah. that is what we are expecting AI systems, you know, it's these are cognitive capabilities, right? <laughs> and and if we as humans are losing them, if our capabilities go down, then we need to be careful, yeah. Absolutely. Then we need to be careful that maybe systems, AI systems will, which of course I've never believed in, <laughs> that they will take over. But so far for today, I would say. Perfect, Peter. Let's start into the main part. I did the interview with Andreas Nauertz from Bosch. Thank you very much, Peter. It was a pleasure. Looking forward to uh, another year. Uh, great new uh, opportunities. Um, you and always I will see each other. Always. Always. We <laughs> see each other in two weeks in Frankfurt. We'll do another recording before then. Yes. And um, yeah, uh, please let us know, dear listeners, what it is that you are looking forward to as far as industrial AI is concerned. And maybe you have specific wishes for uh, interviewees that we should be having on our podcast.
Thank you, Peter. Bye-bye. Thanks, Robert. Bye-bye. And it's a pleasure to talk to Dr. Andreas Nauertz from Bosch. Andreas, welcome. Thanks a lot for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. Please introduce yourself briefly to the listeners, Andreas. Sure. I'm currently the CTO and member of the executive board of Bosch Digital. And before I joined Bosch in 2019, I worked for different software companies worldwide. For the longest time for IBM, there was, in my last role, I was a program director and a senior technical staff member where I was responsible for IBM serverless compute solutions. But today I'm with Bosch. Andreas, you or Bosch Ventures dropped a few million weeks ago and are leading the investment round for Aleph Alpha. What do you expect from this? And please give me a bit more specific than in the press release. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look back a little bit in the times where cloud computing was coming up, right? We all saw that at the very end, the business has been made outside of, of Europe, actually, and outside of Germany, right? And we, of course, have the hope that we can do better this time. But this, of course, requires that we have some strong companies in Europe and Germany. So, of course, this investment is something that we will do also to secure our sovereignty and to maybe lead in the market in the future in the market of generative AI. So this is the main reason why we are doing this. The second reason is, of course, look at the regulations and everything coming up currently like AI Act and so forth. And we, we truly believe that having a German company as a partner makes it easier to obey to all these rules and to jointly work on uh, fulfilling the requirements coming up with these regulations. And the third thing, I think that's a very obvious one, having a partner that sits in in Heidelberg, where we sit in Stuttgart, so just a few minutes away from us, that hopefully gives us also better collaboration option to influence the development of Aleph Alpha in a way that it at the very end perfectly fits to our, let's say, industry-specific cases. And last but not least, what they already can do, and that was a main trigger to go with Aleph Alpha, they are deployable on-premises, right? And if we have our IP-sensitive cases, we do not want to push data into public public services. So that's something they already offer. And they also invest a lot, and in, I would call it trustworthiness, so really make it traceable where the responses are, are coming from. Just important if you want to distinguish if something is a hallucination or not. But you mentioned trustworth. That's a good point. Why don't you rely on one of the many open source LMs? It's, I think, much easier to use this than to buy your own. <laughs> oh, that's, I would say this excludes each other. So I have not said we don't, we go with all of alpha only. That's a very important point. So let me tell a little bit about the strategy. Um, so it's a make or buy strategy, the AI strategy by Bosch. I would call it a hybrid strategy. Okay. So I would say very similar. Everything is hybrid in this industry. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is hybrid. The story repeats itself. Yeah. So it's a little bit similar to what we have seen in cloud, and we just do the very same. So we want to go with the public offerings of big tech, so we don't want to exclude them, because we also need their technology as, as an accelerator for the solutions that we build upon. It doesn't make sense to invent everything ourselves. And in this public space, we also do not want to go with one vendor only, but with a plurality, no matter if it's called Microsoft, Google, AWS, you name it. But we only want to use that for, I would call it standard cases, where it's not about IP-sensitive stuff, where we don't need domain-specific models that rely heavily on all the wisdom and knowledge we inside Bosch have built up over decades. If we enter that latter world, right? Then, of course, we want to have our own tech stack that we run in our own data center. And Aleph Alpha is one option in that scenario. But of course, there are two more options. Of course, we can also use open source models if, if they fit our needs and deploy them on these stacks. Or we even develop using the expertise that we have built up, for example, coming out of our Bosch Center of Artificial Intelligence, to train and develop our own models that then incorporate the Bosch-specific knowledge that I've mentioned before. So all these options exist, and we just try to make the best out of these worlds. But at the end, somebody asked, so Andreas, we invested so many millions, we need to take Aleph Alpha because we invested there. Or is that not a question by the controlling at the end? I don't, I, I don't think this will, I think the main question in the end will be what is the best technology for the particular problem we are currently looking at? Yeah. And of course, we have invested in Aleph Alpha because we already see that there are many cases where they are a good pick. We already see what we in Bosch are call SC3 data. So that's the security class of data where we definitely want to go 
looking again at this hybrid strategy where we want to go that path. Okay, definitely we want to host private. And we see, after having experimented with all of all what that they are performing well with respect to some of these cases. So we know that this investment will pay off. And as I've said before, it will strengthen our, our data sovereignty, not only for us as Bosch, but also for Germany. And we are sure we can cooperate with them. We do already cooperate with them so that the future development will even fit better to the cases that will come up in the future. So I'm not worried about such a discussion. So do you provide LFI for them with computing power? Because that's the main, it's a bottleneck, I think, for everybody. Yeah, that's something that will for sure happen. I mean, also that will, of course, change over time. We are still at a kind of beginning. So at the moment, it's not our biggest issue. But we have our own data centers. I already told you, we'll build up or are building up our own tech stack to run different models there. And at the end, also Aleph Alpha. And of course, then we also have to provide the compute power. Yes, that will happen. So the models are trained in a Bosch data center. The models that we develop on our own are primarily trained in Bosch data centers. That's correct. And for Aleph Alpha, Something that we already see is that we, in many cases, need at least some fine-tuning, which will then also happen in most cases in our own data centers. Yep. And how do you do Gen AI industrial grade or LLMs industrial grade? What do you need to say, okay, this is a large language model industrial grade? I think there are a couple of things uh, that we need to make sure. So the first thing, of course, is the quality of data that we get out there must meet our requirements, let's call it like this, right? So this is the first thing. The second thing, of course, is that we need that traceability, need to provide mechanisms that we can really give users tools at their hand that they know the responses they get are just fine. But they are, for industry creators more, there's also things like the response time, for example, and the latency that we get. So we need to make sure that we have set up a proper tech stack with the proper model and all of that that we get for the particular use case we are looking at response in a proper time. So for near real-time, for real-time systems, uh, we need low latency. And last but not least, and that's a very interesting point, I think, we need some, I would call that stability in its behavior. I mean, if you, for example, look at ChatGBD, you probably have also read that paper from Stanford University that has been published months back. They use reinforcement learning and all of that. So the behavior changes over time. But for example, if you have a safety critical system, yes, yes. you probably don't like that the behavior changes over time in a not predictable way. So all these things need to be considered. Okay. And how does the LLM or the Gen AI get then into your products? Because you sell a lot of components for the industrial sector. And can you earn money? with a Gen AI, for example, in a drive systems or in a PLC? What is the business case? Yeah, so I think the overarching goal at the moment, and that also makes a lot of sense, that also makes a lot of sense given the economic situation we are in, is to use the power of generative AI to increase, I would call it operational efficiency across the board, whatever we do at Bosch, right? Okay, in your factories. In our factories, but even way beyond that, right? So we have four clusters of use cases that we currently see, to be a little bit more specific here, right? And we have set up a team that is set up overarching. So normally things in Bosch are driven out of a particular unit. This time we did it different. We really set up, I would call it a center of excellence. That team is talking to all the, you know, Bosch is a conglomerate. We do, on the one day we have to think, what does I mean for automotive, on the sure. next day for building technologies, on the next day for manufacturing, and so forth. So the team looks at what all these different units need and then builds clusters to say, okay, this is what we probably should look at first because they all need it. And we prioritize these clusters following a, a very simple model saying, okay, what is so much effort but leads to a lot of impact for a plurality of these customers? So that's how we came to these clusters. The first cluster is not very surprising. That's about the search and summarization case, so, right? So, I mean, we at Bosch, we have, we are also saying if Bosch would knew what Bosch knows, right? It's, you copy that from Siemens, right? I don't know if Siemens, yeah. if Siemens, <laughs> Siemens knows what Siemens knows. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't surprise me yeah. because they are also a huge company and probably they have the same problem. So what we are currently looking at in this cluster is how can we enhance enterprise search, right? How can we allow uh, getting access to all the distributed knowledge faster and in a very convenient way, allowing our people to use natural language rather than keywords. And the result is also not, I mean, we all know how these internal search search engines work, right? Oh you my get God. A, yes. Exactly. That's what I meant. So you get uh, 500 links back. 
the first 400 you can forget about. And then you find finally in tab number 401, you find the information you've been looking for. We want to get rid of that and we want to incorporate all our information stored in manuals, in our docu-PTRs, in, in all the systems that we have. That's the first case. And of course, we do that for all the units. So if you look at, I don't know, power tools in the future or BSH, they all have their specific manuals and information sources. And of course, we want to use this technology to, to ease the access to that for our associates, maybe also for customers, maybe also for people that work in the field and need to fix a problem that they currently see. Cluster one. Okay, that's knowledge management. Yeah, that, yeah, information, knowledge management, exactly. That describes it quite well. The second one is then, and also not very surprising, is bot technology, right? You call the, you call a service sender or you call the IT support. So it is something that we will use that we are using externally. So for our external customers as well as internally. And especially if you look at a service center. So some people don't really understand how this really works. So they all think like there is this pure little agent that the whole day long he gets these. <laughs> Mm -hmm. these calls and uh, has to fix the problem totally let alone that's not how it works so if you call a service center today usually the call is being split into two parts the one part really ends up on the headset of the agent talking to you but the other part is being received by an ai a generative ai and there's a model behind now it. And, uh, now today yeah, today, today already today. Okay. already we do that you inform your customer that you do that well For service is, reason, we record this uh, call. I'm, I'm totally, con I mean, Bosch is very strict when yeah. it comes to dealing with rules, with yes. regulations, with data protection yeah. and so forth. So I'm not the responsible person in charge. But for you the trust your suit. colleagues. Oh, I do. I definitely do. If, if there's one company making sure that we do not violate any rules, then it's Bosch. That's okay. something I'm totally Perfect. trusted, even so without looking into this now in detail. And of course, we have this, if you call all the calls that I have this, we record here, right? Okay. So anyway, there's this model behind and the model has been trained, of course, on all the manuals, but also on the problem tickets of the past. So while the agent is talking to the guy who has the problem, he's being assisted in time, actually, and in context uh, by this AI also listening, and he gets suggestions what a problem actually might be and what a solution could. That's a very, very nice feature already happening today. And is it an Aleph Alpha Gen AI model, or what is it? In that particular case that I've seen from a Aleph, it's indeed Aleph Alpha being used, yes. Okay. And it's all over the world today when I call your service provider, your service agent, the model will help the service, the technical staff at the telephone. It's being used in particular areas. Okay. So I don't have the details about all the service centers that we have and all the services that we provide, but I know that we do that already in parts. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. You are very fast. That's something I hear very often, by the way, and that makes me quite proud. I mean, I'm currently a lot of conferences and stuff. Yeah. And if I give a talk on what we are doing in Generative AI, this is the typical reaction that you also showed like, wow, okay, you already have that and you already have that. That seems like we are a little bit a forerunner currently. And that's something, given that we started at the beginning of this year, that's something that makes me very proud about the team and what we have already achieved. Anyway, that's the... Yeah, that's the second use case. That's the second cluster, right? The third cluster, now we go in a totally different direction, is about, I would call it, general content creation. So think of you are a marketing specialist. Yep. Why the hell should you continue to write manually texts in 47 languages, uh, maybe even in a personalized way, manually, right? Why should you do that? You, you can use a generative AI-backed tool that helps you doing that. Or why should you do the same for writing newsletters or stuff yep. like that? So That's something we already do. So again, it's not a theoretic thing that you could do. We have under development and continuously extend that tool, these solutions that assist our marketing colleagues with exactly doing that, right? With writing texts for websites yep. or with writing newsletters or even vice versa, with extracting keywords for pictures being part of a website so that you can use these keywords for search engine optimization or something like that. These things already happen. And of course, we are currently looking and extending that. So think of job offers for HR, for example. Right? Yes, yes. So this general content creation, and this will have a huge impact, I think, on the entire organization. As these things can be, this, this typically manual, repetitive tasks, I think they can be automated a lot. And then we come back to what I said at the beginning. That's why I think this will increase the operational efficiency of companies like Bosch significantly. 
I want to come back to the production line. Can you give us an example of what you do with Gen AI on the production line? Mm -hmm. Because there we need small and fast models, I think. Yep. I'm not the expert for that. So, yep. But one thing that we definitely are doing is, you probably have heard of Control-X, right? Yeah. So Control-X, in very short, is our automation platform, which we, we actually already generate, um, I would say, quite some buzz in the market. And I had a conversation with a colleague last week. And so currently, as far as I got them, they are building up an ecosystem with apps, with third parties. Yes, yes, yes. To, to bring in, world, yeah. Exactly. To bring in even more functionality. So what they do is they now use AI. And one use case, a very obvious one, is for quality inspection to eliminate errors. So earlier times, right, you had a certain part, they had to do manual optical inspection, and now they have developed models that they have fed with all the large data sets from our different manufacturing plants and networks. And now the generative AI is capable of inspecting components independently. What they do is... But this is not Gen AI, right? This is a vision system. This is both, as far as I got it. So because uh, that's a good one. Yep. Of course, you have the traditional machine learning where you can just do a visual inspection. But now let's say you want to make it better and you want to make it more powerful. Generative AI is capable of generating synthetic data, right? Synthetic pictures, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So you have more variants of pictures that you can use to train the model and to make it better. So you generate synthetic data or pictures of parts right. with some mistakes or what? what is the idea? Exactly. Just to make the, the spectrum of what can be detected even broader. And that's one use case where they use generative AI. And it's just one use case. There's for sure more behind to make this technology we already have in place even more powerful by extending the model and the spectrum of what it's able to do. And I think they train the AI models in the cloud or in some data center. Yeah. But then also to, due to that latency stuff you touched on and we talked yeah. about before, They run them at Edge, of course. And as far as I got the colleague, they use an AI accelerator then at Edge to make this really perform because they need this performance. Otherwise, it won't work. So and I want to come back to my question, I think, five minutes before. Will you sell in the future PLCs, components, and models in the future? I don't have a crystal ball, but it's an interesting question. Because a model could also be a component in the future. Exactly. So... That's an interesting discussion that I also touched on at a conference I attended two weeks ago. If we look at where we currently are in Germany and in the industry, and if we look at what happened in cloud computing, where we actually lost the battle and now all the hyperscalers are sitting in the US, there's a key question I would like to put before answering your question. The key question is, how can we this time prevent that at the very end of the day, everything is running outside Germany again? Yes. And if you look at generative AI, the algorithms are not the smartest ones I've ever seen. I mean, if you look at ChatGPT, it's yes. just, okay, we have a couple of words. We have a model behind that has been trained on the text covers of the internet. And we calculate the next probable word, most probable word, the next most probable word, and so forth. This is not very, very complicated. But why is it still able to generate so super powerful results that are so fascinating because the model has the actual value and that relies on all the wisdom. So if we look at what we have been able to do and what we are able to do in Germany, we have built up knowledge in all these different areas over decades, right? Be it automotive, be it whatsoever, all the sectors that Bosch is active in. So my dream would be, but we are not yet at this point, that we one day are able to find a way to monetize and sell all that knowledge via this technology that has such attraction at the moment. And maybe we do it even smarter. We don't do this each company on its own. This is now just Andrea speaking what he envisions. What oh, he that's the dream of all uh, German mm -hmm. companies to do it together, but nobody wants it. And at the end, everybody <laughs> does it alone. So that's, a, that's my fear. That's a conference talk now, Andreas. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting topic because we have seen it's exactly as you're saying. If we do it all alone, we will not be super fast. The training is super expensive. We all know that. And even so, we are in many areas not competitors to each other. There's still, at the very end, the one step before we want to do it is there's this one guy saying, ah, no, 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 better not. It's, it's our IP and we better don't collaborate. A little bit like what we have seen in other industries, right? Where everybody thought it's a smart idea to come up with 
well, its own operating system or whatsoever, instead of collaborating and realizing that the real competition might be even outside of this country, right? Yeah. But I have been talking about my dream, right? And my vision and this. Yeah, maybe it open sources the solution for that. Yeah. And that's, the <laughs> are you reading my mind? <laughs> Because, yeah, this is what we need to, and there might be many influencing factors if this dream that I'm just talking about comes true. The one is, are we able to collaborate, which we just touched on? Okay, that's more like political attitude, whatever thing. The second one is, at the moment, training these models, I mean, there's a reason why they are called large language models, is super expensive, right? But what if, and we already see that coming, what if the algorithms to train the models and at the same time, the GPUs get more efficient as well so that the training becomes way, way cheaper? Isn't that then a time where it's not only a play or a game that big tech can play? Isn't that then a time where also open source can enter the game again because you don't need so much money anymore? And hopefully then we have open source being an essential part to make that dream that I'm just talking about, also the vehicle to make it come true. Exactly. In my opinion, we need to talk once again about the architecture and the transformers. Maybe the transformer technology is not the technology for the industrial applications, but maybe you have another opinion on that. Uh, that, that <laughs> they, they, They are very powerful, but... I'm not convinced that we will see all over the world in industrial application transformers. I agree because I, I mean the big problem that we always have is if there's if there is a new hype, you know what people do? They yeah. apply this new technology and this new hype to whatever problem they see out there, right? You have the hammer and everything is nailed, the typical yeah. thing. But let's think a little bit where this technology is really good at and where it's not so good at. Yeah. And for example, if you want to do classical or traditional classification is this a dog or is this a cat why the hell should you use a generative ai solution yeah, sure. while you can use a traditional machine learning algorithm that is cheaper and faster so i'm totally with you right or what if you don't even have a generative task it's not about generating why should you use something called generative ai and we touched on these things before why you shouldn't do that There is the, the instability in its behavior. There is the latency that you get. It's super expensive. So I'm totally with you. And it comes back to what I said at the very beginning. We need, as always in IT, we need to look at the problem and then decide what is the best technology to use looking at all the functional and non-functional requirements. And this might not be generative AI for every problem out there just because it's cool. Yeah, that's it. Because in, in my opinion, when I now to talk also to your customers in Stuttgart and all around, they say, oh, now we audit Copilot. That's our AI strategy. And this is very dangerous, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Because this is not an AI strategy. This is only one tool for your guys in the offices. Absolutely. And it's super important that we adopt these tools because what I said before, increasing efficiency. And if we don't have the same efficiency that the competition, we are falling behind, competitive disadvantage, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So, but I risk you, this is not an AI strategy. This is just using what the market is providing you is to be max efficient. Yeah. And do we overestimate maybe Gen AI a bit when we talk about the industrial sector? Oh, that's a tough one. Honestly, I think this is super hard to answer because mm -hmm. we do not even oversee all the potential. I mean, look at when all of this started. Look at where we are yes. a couple of yes. months back. I don't think we overestimated, and it's now speculation. But what we currently see is a kind of democratization of this entire technology, right? So years back, everybody who wanted to do something AI needed to be an expert in machine learning algorithms, needed to have some model data, needed to train the model, super expensive, blah, 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 blah. Now you can very easily use this technology because there are these abstraction layers. It's way cheaper. You maybe can even use an open source model and fine tune it and all of that. Due to that, I personally think that this technology will continue to accelerate its development like hell even the next months and years. And with that in mind, I think we today cannot even foresee all the fields of applications why I don't think we overestimated. We just don't see already all the options this will provide. I think there will be, if we talk again in one year from now, we will see so many more use cases that we haven't foreseen today. And that's why I think there is a lot of power in there also for the industrial sector, even so I can't name all the potential fields of application today. 
at the end, I want to talk a little bit about certification because two weeks or three weeks ago, we had this AI act. And now we are talking about certification of products. And for example, Bosch delivers a lot of stuff in the automotive sector and there will be a high risk applications and robots and safety. We will have high risk classifications for some solution PLCs in critical infrastructure too. So we have traditionally DevOps, then we have MLOps. Do we see now certification ops also provided by Bosch or by different players? We need to. I mean, look at all the risks that we already touched on, right? We talked about the risk of misinformation. Everybody knows hallucination, blah, blah. I don't have to explain. There's the risk of easygoing misbehavior. There's the risk of, of whatsoever, right? And on the one hand side, you always also can mitigate these risks by having the human in the loop. But this does not scale. And of course, look at the risks at, at the very end. I mean, all the deep fake. Honestly, I mean, generative AI, if you misuse it, in my opinion, it's a weapon right? You can generate deep fakes. You can generate movies where the president of some country is saying something that he has never said, but you can't distinguish between reality and fake. This is a weapon. And look at in the past how wars have started. They have not, it's not about technical singularity and it's not about the machines taking over and ending the world. This is not what I'm afraid of. It's more like people misusing that, generating deep fakes And then spreading deep fakes via social media at a speed that we have never seen before. This is super dangerous. So due to all these risks and all this potential for cyber attacks and things going wrong, we definitely need a reasonable regulation. So hopefully we don't overregulate and then as Europe end up in a competitive disadvantage to all the countries outside. But we need regulation and we need certification and we need something where we can Prove to people that they can trust this technology with which incorporates AI. So we as Bosch, we already have this digital trust label thing. Yeah, that you yeah with Siemens together, right? Exactly. And this is something we started even before Generative AI came up, right? And this is something that we will continue to contribute to because this is also part of our company philosophy. I mean, we talked at the beginning Do you inform your customers? Something like that you asked, right? And I was immediately saying, well, even oh, you were you were a bit surprised by this question, I thought. Oh, no, only only how to answer it perfectly, okay. because I'm not the one who, who is working for legal and knows the contracts. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> But I was definitely sure that we will do that, because I know my company. We, we yeah. always look at, uh, as I've said before, obeying to legal regulation and stuff like that, and making sure that we do behave in a responsible way with all customer data and, and stuff like that. And due to that, we need definitely the certification and we need that for all products on all solutions that incorporate AI. And that's back to your question. We will definitely see that becoming part of the pipeline and a normal step in the development of future solutions and tools, definitely. But this is very difficult to establish this pipelines, then the certification pipeline, MLOps pipeline. Whoa, that's a lot of hard work. Again, nobody said it will be easy. And it also nobody said we will do it everything alone. So we are currently having conversations with potential partners that are looking into this. And uh, let's see how this evolves. But already as of today, we have this awareness that this needs to be done. And that's why we already have these conversations and we already look into what do we do on our own? What do we want to do with partners and all of that? Because this awareness that certification is key and that we need to prove our customers, that they can trust our solutions, even so they incorporate AI, that's absolutely clear. At the end, my question is, how do you develop business ideas with AI? How do you do that at Bosch? So it's easy to have a proof of concept. We working on a model and do a little bit like this and it works. But how do you make business out of it? How do you define a business case with AI? Yeah, the one thing is a very obvious one improving using the tools, the products, the solutions we already have, but make them from a user experience better so that we outperform from user experience our competition. And that then leads to the people buying our products instead of those of others. And so user experience is the key? No, it's not a key. It's just the first thing I'm mentioning here. This is one thing you can do. And the, the example I've already given, right? You have a product being bought and produced by Bosch. And you call the service center and you get a super experience because we have a generative AI-backed system that supports the agent. That's just one example. So 
um, try to have products and even the services behind these products, like in the service center case, that outperform from a user experience point of view, right? The second thing is what we already touched on. The business case lies also internally, like making the way we work more efficient at higher quality. So automate manual and repetitive tasks, like what we touched on with this content generation case. This saves hell of money. And of course, this is a business case, right? The quality will also increase because, I mean, if you have these manual and repetitive tasks, people tend, if they do the same over and over again, they tend to make at some point an error. The machine doesn't get tired. So it's all about increasing user experience. It's all about speeding up our development processes. It's about increasing quality. It even makes people more happy if you look at the associates, right? Because usually people don't like this manual repetitive yeah. task. So even the associate satisfaction... Associates in are lazy normally. <laughs> That's what you said. <laughs> they don't like that to do. Yeah, really. Really. They don't like to do this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and so even there, it comes into play. But generally, we will get more efficient. We will save money. We will ship things more quickly. We will provide a better experience for our customers. We will provide a better experience and environment for our associates, no matter if it's about software development, engineering, no matter if it's about doing this generation of content and the manual repetitive tasks. There are many things why we will benefit from this technology and become more profitable in the very end. You mentioned this user experience. I have one more question on this topic because do you think that maybe in the future you sell a PLC or a drive system or whatever to an industrial customer and then there is a machine learning model and it's about optimization of the drive system in the machine. I think we need the explainability to the people who work with the machine that says, oh, now you can optimize this machine or this drive system because the machine learning model is confident that it will help you, I don't know, to raise more than 30% better OEE or something. Do you need that we need the explainability to people what the AI is doing in the machine? Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, we come to this, what I said before, right? This instability in behavior would lead to people seeing too much risk, and then they would be afraid of using it. So besides trustworthiness, there's also this tremendous need for explainability in the behavior so that you really understand if I change a little bit here, if I change a little bit there, or what the behavior and the result will be in the model's overall behavior. So explainable AI and explainable models will also play a crucial role and be a key ingredient for the adoption and the acceptance of this technology. So that's something I would definitely agree to. So when we talk about Gen AI and AI, we could also talk about software development. What is possible with AI and software development? Maybe co-pilot of GitHub. What are your experience? Do you use that? What is the outcome? Yeah, thanks for touching on my most favorite topic. <laughs> this is what I burn for. I think there's a huge potential to make software development way more efficient than it is today. And even the developers happier because they all hate some things. Like, if you ever ask the developer, you got it. Where is your documentation? And usually the developer refers to the code as documentation. So you can generate documentation very easily. You can generate test cases, the same most favorite thing for each developer. These are the things you can start with, right? And then you can go even beyond that. You can generate or at least give assistance while you are coding using tools like GitHub Copilot, which is something we are currently looking into. The interesting thing is, of course, and nobody really knows, to be honest, if you look at the different studies, they are all super high level. What is the efficiency gain you can expect? I mean, there is this study from GitHub, it says 55% with GitHub Copilot, but if you look at a study, the test they've been doing is... Okay, there are two groups. They implement, uh, I think it was an HTTP server in Java. And based on the results of that, that one task, they derived these 55%. A little bit simplified, but that's what I have to do. Now look at what we are doing at Bosch. What are your results? Yeah, we are currently trying to find out. Okay. That's exactly the point. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's a super interesting thing because look at what we are doing at Bosch. We do deeply embedded development. Yeah, sure. We do cloud native. We have people that have different skill levels. We have the juniors, the seniors. How do all these different metrics influence what at the very end the efficiency gain you can expect really is? And that's something we just about to measure because nobody out there knows you can ask all the consultancy agency nobody can answer that right and we think that's a very very interesting exercise 
to find out. And how do and you measure the efficiency now? That's part of the exercise to, <laughs> to first find out what to measure. So I, of course, have some ideas like, I mean, we have been coding in certain fields for years. And so we have some data or some historic data, how long things take, right? And now you can, of course, compare with assisting with these new tools, how similar tasks are now being tackled if they get quicker. But of course, this is still very imprecise. So the part of the game that we are currently looking at is first to define how you measure, to define the metrics that you want to look at, and then to see how these different metrics, like it depends on the area you are coding in, deeply embedded might be different than cloud native, it depends on the skill level of the developer and all of that. That's exactly what we currently define because I think, personally think, this is a very, very interesting exercise to perform to really understand the potential and what you can expect in different scenarios. And the interesting thing, by the way, is it does not only influence efficiency and quality, it also makes developers more happy. And that's also something you can see in the, in the GitHub study, because they don't have to write the documentation anymore and they don't have to write the test cases, because what they also hate is all the time they lose to search around for the information they need to develop and code the actual problem, right? That's something they all hate, and they will become quicker in that, and that's the third reason why they will become more happy. So for software development, I expect um, a significant change in the future, uh, how this is being how this is being done. And is it also your plan to build specialized RFR farm or LLM models for the software development? Very good question. I don't know if it will be RFR, but if you look at what we do at Bosch, we are in, I mean, For general programming, I would call it, where you find a lot of training data um, in the general public, I don't expect us to do that. Why should we? But if we look into deeply embedded automotive safety, great development, blah, blah. You have certification, documentation, yeah. The full program, right? And there you, of course, don't find a lot of code in the general public. If so, that would be a little bit weird and I would be yeah. very interested in the source. Yeah. Um, but since you don't find it in the general public, there is no training material there. So we need to train ourselves. So for this particular case where we rely on Bosch internal domain-specific knowledge, I can definitely imagine that we come up with our own small models for these special, special cases. Andreas, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Good luck. All the best with Aleph Alpha and with your open source models. And maybe in the future, we already see Bosch models. Maybe. 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 Thank you. Thanks a lot.